And welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 57. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. Just two quick announcements. The all-new monthly Buddhism PDF magazine for the month of May went on sale last weekend, and future issues will be available regularly on the first Sunday of each month. The May issue has over 60 pages of material, and it looks really great. The cost is $5 and can be purchased at www.monthlybuddhism.com. And our sponsor this week is once again Mighty Leaf Tea. They've got lots of different teas for your enjoyment, both hot and cold. They've got all the basic teas, but also tea accessories, pots, cups, and much more. Check them out for your Buddhist tea ceremony, or just because you love their taste. Get special deals and free samples of teas by visiting www.dailybuddhism.com slash tea. T-E-A. And now, let's get on with this week's show. Okay, as is often the case, we started out the week with a question, and here goes. A reader wrote in, I've come to understand that within the practice, the subject of reincarnation is one with many faces. In listening and reading, I find that there are varying opinions regarding reincarnation, most holding it as an important underpinning of basic Buddhist teaching, while some apparently struggle with the concept of a self continuing as a separate unit cycling through incarnations more or less intact, and karmically imprinted from self-knowing state to self-knowing state. I am new to Buddhist teachings, less than a month now, so I thank you for your patience and forbearance. Before discovering Buddhism, I had a deep leaning to the spiritual, and in time came to understand and firmly believe in the connectedness of all things, and the fact that nothing is really what it appears. Nature has shown us that on the subatomic level, and now string theory, promises even stranger realities. As to the question of karma, just a week or so I read an explanation given to describe the self as being similar to a wave on the ocean. A momentary and fleeting thing, separate but connected. Not apart from, but rather somehow fleeting and distinct, but not separate of the whole. Is there room in the karma conference for a thought that just maybe after our fleeting existences of self, as a sentient being in whatever realm, in whatever eon, our karmic experiences and energies are returned to the great well of karma, to the benefit or detriment of future sentient beings? We are not separate. The task is not one of self, so why would I view karma that way? Could it perhaps be that the progress of all sentient beings toward enlightenment is thwarted simply by clinging to retain even a little of our good karma for our personal wealth and future happiness? I do know that this idea is one that may appear on the surface to relieve an individual from karmic responsibility, but I don't see it that way. To me, even as a beginner, most precious to each of us should first be the other, and not putting forth right effort and right mindfulness in working for the common best interests of all sentient beings everywhere is really not an option. Okay, my answer. 
So you've been looking into Buddhism for less than a month now. Sounds to me like you've got a pretty good start. Uh, I did publish an article a couple months ago about that wave analogy that you discuss, and I, I agree, it's one of the better metaphors for rebirth also. We are, in fact, all interconnected, and there is no self as we usually understand the word. We are all one, deep down. So basically, I think your question really boils down to, can karma be shared, or is it purely an individual thing? And I'll answer you. I don't no. There are groups of Buddhists and others who believe that merit can be shared or even transferred to the dead. Now, there are subtle differences between karma in general and merit specifically, but that's a discussion for another time. Personally, I'm not a believer in the sharing of merit, but others are. If you really get into the idea of karma and rebirth and anatman, or no-self, then your unique combination of past karma is you, the only real you that exists. Your ancient accumulation of good and bad and history is what makes you be you. Of course, if we really are all interconnected, then wouldn't some mixing and sharing take place? Generally, I prefer the idea of bodhisattvas, or those who are devoted to bringing about the enlightenment of everyone, without exception no matter how many lifetimes it takes. They aren't giving up their own karma. They're teaching and sharing their enlightenment by bringing others up to their level, leading by example. Again, I'm not sure what to think on this. It's a hugely deep concept, and I have to say it's one area I haven't thought about or researched very much. With luck, some of our readers will be able to enlighten us. And in fact, they did. There were quite a few comments on this post Check out the show notes and read the comment section of the blog. Next up was Koan Time, and this one is entitled Publishing the Sutras. Tetsugen, a devotee of Zen in Japan, decided to publish the sutras, which at that time were available only in Chinese. The books were to be printed with wood blocks in an edition of 7,000 copies. A tremendous undertaking. Tetsugen began by traveling and collecting donations for the purpose. A few sympathizers would give him a hundred pieces of gold, but most of the time he received only small coins. He thanked each donor with equal gratitude. After ten years, Tetsugen had enough money to begin his task. And it happened that at that time, the Uji River overflowed. Famine followed. Tetsugen took the funds he had collected for the books and spent them to save others from starvation. Then he began again his works of collecting. Several years afterwards, an epidemic spread over the country. Tetsugen again gave away what he had collected to help his people. For a third time, he started his work. And after twenty years, his wish was fulfilled. The printing blocks which produced the first edition of sutras can be seen today in the Obaku Monastery in Kyoto. The Japanese tell their children that Tetsugen made three sets of sutras, and that the first two invisible sets surpass even the last. And then it was time for one more letter. Reader wrote in, I have been following your podcast and also purchased your book, The Beginner's Guide to Buddhism, over the last few months. 
I'm very interested in Buddhism and like what I'm hearing and learning. I read your article, Starting Buddhist Practice, How, posting on your site, and I'm dealing with the same issue. How to pick a place to start so that I can get involved with real life instead of just reading and listening. Like you said, you'll get more out of it by visiting a temple than reading books. I live in Columbus, Ohio area, and have searched on the internet for places. I came across a few locations, but I'm not sure how best to approach this. Yes, I understand that it will take me a period of time to find one that best fits me, but with knowing so little, it's hard. Like you said, it's easy for us to know the difference between a Baptist, Greek Orthodox, or Lutheran church. It's not so easy to tell the Buddhist groups apart. I've come across a few places and have looked up information from their websites, but it is still hard. I came across the World Maitreya Great Tao Organization, Columbus Karma Thegsum Choling, Shambhala Meditation Group of Columbus, and the Zen Columbus Sangha. Most of them do have visitor times and beginner classes. Is there a difference between a group that is focused on meditation? But on the other hand, without really understanding the difference in each of them, how do I start? You may just tell me to just start with one and move down the list till I find one that I like, and that's fine. But the difference between a Maitreya, Thegsum, Shambhala, or Zen. One of the locations had a membership plan that ranged from $1,500 to $350, giving you voting rights and discounts on books and such. Is that normal? I have no problem in supporting a place that I'm involved with. Whatever help you can provide, I will appreciate. And my response is, I think you're going about it in the right way so far. Unless you have a close friend that can lead you through it, then you should spend the first few months researching and learning the general purpose ideas of Buddhism. And that's what the daily Buddhism is for. But what happens when you're just past that point and are ready to step into the larger world of the Sangha? Where do you go? Well, I've said in the past that it's a good idea to shop around to find the group that fits you best. And I still stand by that. Yet there are ways you can narrow down the field beforehand if you want. As you've done, the first thing to do is research your local area and see what's available. First, find out what exists and research those particular sects. If you find that you like Theravada, for example, and there's no Theravada group locally, then you're going to need to either find the next closest thing or continue to work on your own. The internet has information on all of them, but be aware that sites devoted to any religion, Buddhism included, are going to be very biased towards their way of doing things, so read critically. Also remember, the net is an interactive research tool. If you can't find the difference between Maitreya and Thegsum through Google, then ask someone from those places. Use the phone to call your local group or email someone who has a Maitreya or Thegsum site. Now, I have found that Buddhists on the web are eager to help each other. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of unique little groups, and no one can know the differences between all of them. It's best to ask a member of those specific groups. Find an email on a website and ask your question. What's the worst that could happen? Now, meditation-only groups can be very specific in their Buddhist styles, for example, Theravada or Zen. Or they can be completely non-religious, you know, people who just meditate without any Buddhism at all. Call ahead and see what's offered. Now, it's my personal belief that it's a good idea to try all forms of meditation, regardless of what you believe. 
In many ways, it's not really a Buddhist issue. You'll eventually come across a form of meditation that you like and works for you. So play around with them all. There's no harm in experimenting. Now, on to your comment about membership plans. As to whether or not this is acceptable, I'll leave it up to you and your judgment of individual situations. If a particular group sounds greedy to you, then it probably is. At the very least, your doubts are going to work against you. Most places I have visited have a donation box inside the door, and people can slip in an envelope or cash into a slot. This can be done anonymously and without anyone seeing. If you drop in $100 one time and only $5 the next, no one sees. This way you can give what you're able without the guilt of a publicly visible collection plate. Many centers make a decent income selling books and merchandise, and I see nothing wrong with that. To charge a membership or admission fee to get in the door, however, would not be acceptable in my mind. Buddhists are there to relieve suffering, and that should be open to anyone, regardless of their income levels. Either way, good luck with your search. And then another question. I've been wondering what the Buddhist take on creationism is. I have long believed in reincarnation and never really thought much about it, but this morning BBC Radio 4 had a thought for the day, and a Sikh was talking about most major religions believing in the one God having created everything, but that God had different names, for example God, Allah, Krishna, etc. This leads me to think, as we don't have a God as such, is there a Buddhist view on creation? Your thoughts, as always, would be welcome. Okay, and my thoughts are... Like the question of God, Buddhism generally doesn't concern itself with this. There's no specific story about the creation of the universe in Buddhism. In fact, Buddha, in the Akintita Sutta, is supposed to have said, Conjecture about the origin of the world is an unconjecturable that is not to be conjectured about. That would bring madness and vexation to anyone who conjectured about it. Okay, well, many of the ideas that influence Buddhism came from Hinduism, and the creation stories fall into this category as well. The most common Hindu stories that many Buddhists have borrowed tell that Brahma created the universe, or that he's at least the oldest being in it, depending on what you want to believe. The universe was created, changes, and then is destroyed. This cycle is called a kalpa, and has happened an uncountable number of times already. Just as people are born, live, and die, and are reborn, so is the universe as a whole. Again, the Creator God is not generally accepted in Buddhism. But the stories are often repeated in the texts, mostly because people at the time were familiar with the stories. Of course, in modern times, we have the Big Bang and Big Crunch theory, and the idea that eventually gravity will pull the universe back in on itself, finally re-exploding outwards to start the cycle all over again. And of course, there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows this is probably the way it really works. The two ideas, at least in the sequence of events, are not that far apart. They both show the universe living and dying in repeated cycles. So in this case, it's one that the ancient Hindus seem to have gotten right. Yeah, 
And every once in a while I get a question that I know nothing about. And this is one of them. It involves sign language. This probably won't affect many of you out there, but it still might be worth following some of the links in the show notes to see what's out there. The reader wrote in with a question. I am new to Buddhism and also currently in a sign language program in my school. Recently we studied religious signs, which were mostly Christian and Jewish signs. I was wondering if you knew of any sources, preferably websites, but others are welcome, where I might find Buddhist signs. Thanks for your help. And my answer. As I said above, I really know nothing about signing. But as someone who is interested in languages, I did do a little research on the question, and anything that can be added by readers would be appreciated. There are four or five links in the show notes that go to various sign language sites relating to Buddhism, one called Signs for Buddhism, one for Teaching Buddhism by Sign Language, a third called Resources for Religious Interpreting Buddhism, and a fourth one, not related to Buddhism, but The Complete Idiot's Guide to Conversational Sign Language. Might be a good start for those interested in learning the topic. And if you go to the website, I've also included a YouTube video of someone doing the Metta Sutta in sign language. It's pretty interesting. And that's all I have for you this week. If you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email to dailybuddhism at replaymedia.com or phone them in at 937-660-4949 or post them in the comments section of any individual blog post. If you found any part of this podcast especially interesting, be sure to check out the comments section beneath the blog post for that article. There are often many excellent comments by readers that add significantly to what I said. And of course, The Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate and click on one of the options there. There are also various ebooks that you can purchase or you can subscribe to the monthly Buddhism PDF magazine. It all helps support the show. But of course, anything you send in is appreciated and helpful. And keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. And so I will see you next week. Next week.